0: (laughs) Joseph and Martin Luther King Jr., they both had a dream. All right, well, so let's get started. Uh, You may recall that on the 31st of some month, I forgot, hold on, Ken, we're going to start over. I forgot to turn off my phone. Not that anyone would call me, I hope, but that happens. You may recall that we started a series on the 31st of... I guess August, that, that seems about right. And then uh, because we're doing some outreach and we've uh, had uh, uh, numerous indications of people were not recognizing the spiritual warfare that was coming to, toward their life and so forth, we did a kind of a mini-series on spiritual warfare after we had started this series. So now I'm gonna try to return to the Employing God's Gift series. And I'm not going to review chapter 1 totally, but I will review chapter 1 a a tad today, just to reorient us. And then today we will do chapter 2, called Biblical Gift Words, 4 Gift Classifications, and 3 Church Gift Categories, Part A. We'll spend two weeks on this subject. Uh, A couple theme verses, uh, there were were more theme verses than this in chapter 1, and we will use some of them at other points in this series but just a couple of things number one first peter four ten says as each one has received a gift employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of god now the words that i want to uh emphasize are kind of underlined there but one of the things that we all struggle with is uh, is understanding that God, beyond the gifts of life, the the general gifts of life and the redemptive gifts of salvation, God has gifted every member of the body of Christ to serve. Everyone. No one does not have uh, gifts. And as we look, look into the church gift categories, you'll see that you have gifts from multiple categories. You have many faceted gifts uh, so the phrase, the manifold grace of God is, is is appropriate when talking about gifts. You have many different types of gifts. They just, now, gifts come to us in seed form often and they need to be cultivated. And what the best way to cultivate them is to employ them and the employment is not for some narcissistic, it's become very popular in American culture to talk about what my gifts are. The, the purpose of knowing giftedness, uh, it shouldn't actually excite you that much in a certain way because it means the cross. Your gifts can only be, be uh, effective on the other side of the cross. They're gifts that come from the resurrected Christ that he gave on the other side of his cross. And they can only be employed in understanding that the greatest is a servant. But uh, we suffer from an unemployment problem in the church today. Too many gifts are unemployed. So, um, 1 Corinthians 14.12 says, so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Not try to excel in some narcissistic uh, self-examination episode. Try not to—it's not to excel in getting uh, recognition and praise from other members of the body of Christ. Our goal is to build up Christ's church. Why? Because Christ's church is the main agent of His kingdom. The reason I've spent 39 years studying how what is it going to take to restore the church in America, and that I and I'm willing to spend to engage in a plan that might take two or three generations for for our own audience to even understand what we're we're saying and doing is because it's paramount to restore the church to see God's purposes unfold. Because God is bringing his kingdom to the earth. Like the mustard seed, it started with uh, this itinerant rabbi making disciples, healing people, he had crowds of sometimes 10 to 20,000 yet only 120 people believed in him enough to actually do what he said after his resurrection and then and that's after appearing to 500 people you would think you seeing jesus resurrected might make some impact on you but 380 of the people didn't it didn't make enough impact to sign up to follow him and do what he said that's always been the issue is like, are we going to be hearers of the word or doers, as James says? So um, our purpose in, in studying spiritual gifts is not just to say, feel better about ourselves, to be, but to, to self-sacrificially be servants, employing them in the building up of God's purposes through his church. Now, with that in mind, we'll, the verses that are listed there in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, we'll get plenty of uh, discussion in weeks to come. So I'm going to skip down to just looking quickly at the uh, what was 13, 12 chapter titles. I've been really studying and studying this. I'm glad I actually had a uh, did that little interruption with the with the uh, spiritual warfare series because I always taught this as something like a four or six part series and uh you know i've been studying and studying this and uh i'm i'm a little bit overwhelmed by how much i didn't know about spiritual gifts till i really started digging deeper in the scriptures about it and so um hopefully this will be good i'm learning uh by this series hopefully you will too uh you know way back in the 80s i used to teach a series on gifts i taught it once in the 90s i taught it as a sunday school class at a around the year 2001 or something, but um, as I'm digging into this, I'm really li- realizing there's a whole lot I was missing, which is exciting to me. All right, so we talked uh, in the first week about getting properly oriented. The two things I just wanna make sure we're properly oriented by is number one, that it's all about self-sacrificial service. Until you get some yokes on you, where you're serving, and you don't just serve when you feel like it, kind of thing, but you serve um, with yokes. I don't know how to ex- explain it any better than that. Jesus said, "Take my yoke upon you," and I think I think the essence of the modern world is we 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 avoid yokes, we avoid commitments, we avoid cost, we avoid long-term relationships. Um, we avoid accountability. We, in so doing, we often avoid a blo- really a sense of belonging. Uh, you know, in fact, I think I'll tell this story one more time. I I remember being very on fire as a young Christian, being part of a church that was called the Fellowship in Bowling Green. It was uh, a group of people who took the most seriously of any I had could find. In Ohio, and I, that's why I moved there from Cleveland area to to Bowling Green because I couldn't find any churches in the greater Cleveland area that had a a real commitment to getting back to New Testament models for how to do church. And these people were very serious about it, and I was really into my studies and uh, becoming a good student and and really quite involved. I went to every meeting never missed a meeting we had sunday meetings that were 3 or 4 hours long we had tuesday night meetings that were a couple hours we had thursday night meetings that were 3 or 4 hours long and we had lots of fellowship events on friday and saturday nights and but i found myself saying you know i don't know if i really fit in and i don't know if i really belong and i remember talking to my pastor about that saying you know i just don't know you know, I know what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, if the, you know, the foot says that I'm not part of the body like the hand is, uh, you know, the foot's wrong <laughs> kind of thing and, you're, and so forth. But, I, you know, in reality, I just don't know how much I'm integrated into this fellowship. And uh, you know what he said to me? He said, start to serve. Look for opportunities to serve. In laying down your life to, you know, be on this team, be on that team, the, which of course means time constraints, commitments, uh, putting God first, and in, in ways that you don't feel like it all the time. And really, I started doing that. I started mowing the church lawn and taking out the church trash. Uh, I started uh, mowing the pastor's lawn and taking out his trash. I started babysitting for several of the pastors because they all had little kids and I was single. Uh, I hung up the posters all over campus. And back those those days, you could actually hang up posters on campuses. You're not you allowed to do much of that anymore. And uh, you know, I did all those kind of things. And before long, you know, I I realized, you know, I'm I'm I belong in this thing. I'm part of the family. So that would be my first thing that I want us to get oriented. You're called to be a servant and you'll find your greatest freedom in your greatest bondage. What, the, what our culture calls freedom, the Bible calls bondage. The freedom to do whatever you feel like doing. I would just want to watch a movie. I just want to have some fries. I just want to I, what, you, you know, the freedom to do whatever you feel like doing leads to the ultimate slavery. The the slavery, to have commitments out of your love for Christ and your vision to see that it's a restored church, not individuals, but a group of community people who will bring God's kingdom, that's what the Bible calls freedom. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, Jesus says. So, Uh, That's the first thing. The second thing is, uh, I want to get us properly oriented by this little statement. Joe has his gift of evangelism, Susan has the gift of prophecy, and Barb has the gift of love. We hear statements like that all the time. And in a sense, they're true, because James 1.17 says, every good gift and every perfect thing uh, comes down from the Father of heavens. In a sense, everything is a gift. Life is a gift. The universe is a gift. The sunshine is a gift. God causes his gift of rain to rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And, of course, redemption is a gift. But in in a real way, those kind of statements kind of represent the, 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 the whole spirit of religious confusion that we're struggling with in our day from reading a little bit of Bible here and a little bit of Bible there, but not really trying to... Th- learn how to think clearly and comprehensively about the Bible. So the truth of the matter is, is evangelism is a type of ministry or service gift. It's not a type of charismatic gift, although an evangelist has charismatic gifts functioning in his life, and we'll study that in this series. Uh, Prophecy is a type of charismatic gift but it doesn't mean necessarily that a person has a prophetic temperament, nor does it mean that they hold the office of a prophet. Uh, And so we'll clarify all that kind of thinking as we go in this series. Uh, Love, of course, it's a gift in the sense of God gave life. And uh, 1 John 4, 8 says that God is love. The one who doesn't love is, is not born of God because God is love. So in a sense, love is a gift, as is joy, as are all the fruits of the Spirit. But more properly understood, love is a commandment that requires the fruit of the resurrected life of God by the power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill that commandment. And that's what Jesus came to do. He said, don't think I came to abolish the law, but I came to put it into force. He came to empower you to live the law. And he summed up the law by saying, love God. And love your neighbor. And he came to change your heart to be able to do that. And sanctification is an ongoing process to love God more clearly, more intimately, more dearly, to follow his ways more nearly, day by day. It's an old song. And to do the same with your neighbor. Not to, to go beyond having good feelings of, I'd really like to see God move on the poor, to actually being able. To disciple someone who's poor, all the way out of the lifestyle, to become effective in love—that's that's what fruit is, and we'll look at that in uh, chapter four of this series. I'm sorry, yeah, chapter four. So, can't wait to get there. All right, so th- uh, that kind of helps us get oriented and today. I want to uh, orient us one more time. I kind of ch- reworked this upon further study. Uh, if you remember, I talked about three gift classifications, and I decided to, to discuss it as four because it's just a way of arranging our thoughts. It's not like the classifications aren't in the Bible. Uh, the, the information that we're going to study out about them is in the Bible, but the classifications are just a way of us uh, arranging our thoughts. So. Um, So as we go through this, I I decided to separate what I was calling general uh, giftedness from redemptive giftedness. I had sort of lumped those together the first time, but I thought that might cause some confusion to anyone who studies systematic theology because theologians talk about general revelation versus specific revelation. And the general revelation concept is that everyone is made in the image of God. Everyone has what in Latin they call the imago Dei, and therefore, everyone has ultimate value. Everyone has a sense of justice and a sense uh, of righteousness. Uh, everyone has a great purpose. A baby who was just conceived, that's one cell, has an incredible eternal purpose on calling on his life. And uh, that's, that's the truth of general revelation, that's the truth uh, that's sometimes also called common grace. And God causes His reign to raise on the righteous and the unrighteous. And God has put giftedness and purpose in every person. Uh, unfortunately, the problem with with uh, with all that is that we're born in sin, and our spirit is dead, and we are we are dead, and we are not alive in our sins until God quickens us. So I thought that um, putting lumping both things under general giftedness might be confusing so general giftedness is things like creation, life breath, the sun, food work, rain uh, redemption is all the things that pertain to what the writer of Hebrews calls this great salvation remember the writer of Hebrews says that we must pay much closer attention to this great salvation lest we drift from it right so, um, you're talking re- redemption, regeneration, uh, baptism in the Holy Spirit, water baptism, and graftedness into the family of God, uh, made a part of his covenant family and his eternal purposes. All the things that God does in Christ uh, when he calls you to himself and plants you in his church. All the doctrines of salvation. Um, if you want a kind of a good summary of those things, read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Verse 8 is the, one of the most famous of those verses. By grace we have been saved through faith, that not of ourselves, it's the gift of God. But that, that, you know, you'll get even more out of it if you put it in the context of reading the whole first 10 verses. And frankly, if you see that 11 is a segue into the ramifications of what happens in the first 10, you'll discern the church better and you'll take one step out of America's radical individualism into the body of Christ and uh, and understanding it in a deeper way because it's all one chapter. It's all one continued thought. And through redemption, Christ has placed you in a household of God, in a family of God, and he's broken down all the barriers that fallen men make between fallen men. Fallen men have a real racial problem. Tall people hate short people. Old people hate young people. Women hate men. Men hate women. The people hate each other based on color, uh, nationality, all sorts of crazy ways they find to dislike one another because they're at enmity with God themselves and each other. That's our fallen state. But this ought not to be the case in the church. That's why I have a passion to build an interracial church 5% 5% of churches in America are, in, are integrated. That's not a good statement on our understanding of the gospel. They did, You know what, they accomplished it in the first three centuries so deeply that there was so much intermarriage between the Jews and the Gentiles that the biological identity of the Jewish Christians ceased to be even an issue in the Gentile. They, they, they were all just intermarried so much There wasn't any more Jew-Gentile issue in the church. They they became one people spiritually, but they practiced that in their bodies, in their community so deeply that they ended up becoming one people biologically. Now, uh, a third category is fruit. We're going to look at that next week. But I want you to understand the Bible uses the word "fruit" three different ways: fruits of character, fruits of reproduction, and fruits of deeds and influence. And it's important to understand all of them because we sometimes dismiss the call to be fruitful, reproductively, by saying, "Well, I'm because most of um, most of the Protestant world has become very consumed with individual, uh, personal growth, sanctification issues uh, that that's kind of uh, how, we, how we see growing in God. We see growing in God as my Bible knowledge grew better and my, I've overcome this sin and I'm more patient with my wife. Or, and all of that's part of God's redemptive sanctification process. But if we're not doing that better with other people and becoming more effective at extending Christ's kingdom, then we're not in any biblical sense becoming fruitful. So hopefully we'll see that. Fourthly, church gifts. Um, they're, uh, I had called these specific gifts before, but these are gifts that God gives to the body of Christ for its edification, its ministry, and its mission. And these are broken down in the New Testament. In, in 1 Corinthians twelve four through 6, it says there are a variety of gifts. Varieties of gifts, plural plural varieties and plural gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord, speaking of Jesus. And there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things and all persons, speaking of the Father. And uh, the different gifts come from the different members of the Trinity in terms of Different categories, and you have gifts from all three of those categories. Some are in seed form, some are more developed, some come on you now and again, some sort of reside in you more frequently and more regularly. But God has multifaceted gifts to distribute to each member of the body of Christ from each of those categories. And so, hopefully, you'll uh, be excited about learning more about that as we go. Today I'm going to bore the heck out of you because I'm going to just give us a few Greek words uh, about giftedness. You know, um, and I'm going to give you kind of a, uh, I'm going to tell you the four or five that we're going to talk about right at the beginning and then we'll go back and talk about each one. The first one is the word doria, which is sometimes uh, in the uh, dorian in the noun form. And uh that occurs twenty-four times in nineteen verses in the Greek concordance of the NASB. Now a lot of us are familiar with the word charis, and I'm I'm totally mispronouncing that because it really would be like you have this kind of rolling R hawker thing going on when you're you <laughs> know if you uh which I can't do i Germans could probably do it better. But uh I you know when I was taking Greek in college, I was I was supposed to pronounce the word and then the teacher would say and then I pronounce it again and he'd say it again and then he'd finally give up on me and move on. But uh <laughs> I I can't pronounce them right. Uh of course you can you, you if you know more than one language in in a, in a speaking sense uh then it's usually easier to make more sounds. You have you already have some head start on that. Um, in any case uh Dorian or Doria is, uh, is a word we'll look at. Caris, Caris, or something like that. It occurs 159 times in 148 verses. Now that's interesting because if you just Google the word grace, which it's often translated, you'll get usually, depending on the translation, anywhere from 124 to 131 occurrences because it's not always translated grace. Um. I want you to see the word didamai, the most common word of, for for uh, it, and it means give, grant, deliver. It occurs 414 times in 376 verses in the NASB uh, version of the Greek. The the, the version of the Greek the NASB was taken from. Uh, that is the New American Standard Bible. I think it's 413 times in the version the King James was taken from. Now. Um, What kind of amazed me about that is let's do the math. There's 27 chapter or books in the New Testament. That means this word appears about 16 times per book on the average. That's a lot, right? If you think about it, there's 260 chapters in the New Testament, which means it doesn't quite appear twice per chapter, but it's more than one and a half per chapter. About 1.6 times per chapter and uh then the word a uh, or Nehemi, uh, occurs four times the word charisma which comes from charis uh i didn't actually look up how many times that appears but it's there's a partial list of them at the bottom of that section so there's hundreds of hundreds of times that the word gift appears in your english bible but the greek words that it comes from uh it it, it get, gets into the into the two to three times per chapter category. And uh, I found myself, sorry, try not to do these things in public. Uh, But I found myself in my study, just weeping as I studied these words, because I began began to realize something about God that I haven't known as deeply as I ought to have known. And I haven't experienced as deeply as I need to experience. And that is, God is full of grace and giving and giftedness beyond anything, no matter how far you've progressed in understanding grace and giftedness and God's love and we love because he first loved us, he's, his love is more than that. It's, it's more abundant, it's extravagant. I don't know if any of you have ever read Timothy Keller's book, The Prodigal God. But he talks about how the word "prodigal" we think it means like bad and, and loose living, but it means extravagant. And it, it, God is God is so giving that He gives to the point where it's wasteful. He even He even lavishes His goodness on sinful and wicked men who hate Him every day, without their even realizing where the goodness that's coming on them comes from. And even we as Christians have goodness of God that comes our way hundreds of times per day that we don't recognize. I've often had a prayer when I've read Psalm 119, I forget what verse where it says, the earth is full of the loving kindness or the mercies of the Lord. I've often prayed, Lord, open my eyes to see that. So I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna, hopefully you'll indulge me with this, but I'm gonna tell you personal story that i thought of as i as i wept over these words and realized that i i i i had to kind of what i wanted to do was was find uh all of the 11 words for gifts and, the, and then then we would have pull, pulled in uh, two more words if we looked at the categories of gifts and i wanted to kind of do all that and i realized it was too big a task you know it would probably be more something you'd have to do with a book or something when I, th- and I thought of my kids who will hopefully not be upset at me for hearing this illustration, but I thought of the great shirt Christmas, <laughs> which is a family joke that we have. And, um, I don't know if you've ever been, been poor and then God prospered you. Some, some of us have experienced that. Others have just been poor. Others have just been rich. But, um, when I left the ministry, I had no career to fall back on, uh, We, the first year we made about $20,000 less than it cost to live on, and fortunately through my work in a second job, we paid all bills on time because the, you know, the, the wicked borrows without repaying. I would never be late on a bill, even if I have to work three jobs, and so, and I did. I worked, I worked an extra job several evenings a week, Saturdays and Sundays, and I worked my sales job, not 40 hours a week, but more like 60, so I could get it jump-started. But we struggled for a long time, and we just barely eked out paying the bills. And I used to, on Saturdays, go to Aldi's with a calculator and Meyer and Kroger and compare the price per ounce of every kind of generic macaroni and cheese and cheap frozen pizzas and whatever it would, it would. I was like, God, please help us get something actually nutritious eventually. But I just need to feed these kids for the time being. And uh, then all of a sudden, you know, I as I worked hard at my sales job, it just started mushrooming. We, no one, you know, when I hired onto the company, the highest paying salesman was making in the forties. And then all of a sudden, um, by the second year, I was making in the thirties. By the third year, three of us were making over a hundred thousand a year. By the fourth year I came in I made 159,000 and I came in fourth place third third place in the company there was one guy made 220,000 and uh the you know the kind of sales we were doing just mushroomed and so what can happen sometimes maybe you can't relate to this but what can happen in that kind of environment is you sort of forget that uh, won't always be like this, <laughs> and so uh, I forget. You know, uh, I don't remember exactly what year it was, uh, but we—I started making well over a hundred thousand every year, and I guess I was feeling a little bit more. You know, like like you know, it's like when you're being chased by an enemy. I was feeling like I had a pretty good head start. <laughs> that poverty thing that won't be able to pay the bills. I—I I was feeling like I had a good lead on it, and uh, so we had this Christmas and usually i'm not much of a uh i'm i'm big on we have a dinner and we read matthew 1 and 2 and luke 2 and and these kind of things as a family i and i've always liked gifts but i went crazy with gifts one year i mean just berserk and uh there i i bought everyone like 40 different shirts and gift certificates and toys and games and everything and we actually uh we have a family tradition where we open the gifts on new year's eve we have a uh, worship service which has now become our church worship service then followed by a big dinner followed by opening gifts and we actually got to like about 1:30 to 2 o'clock in the morning the kids said no more <laughs> like I I can't stay up any longer opening gifts so we actually went to bed without opening all the gifts now that's a long story but I just I, I there's something of God in there that is really when you start thinking about these words that is really what God's heart towards you is. You know, we worry and fret. How sad. The, you know, Philippians 1.6, I am confident that he who began a good work in you. It wasn't your idea to send Christ in the first place. It wasn't your idea to get convicted of sin. However, God drew you into his kingdom, whether you were born in a Christian family or, you know, God let you come to the end of your rope with drugs or whatever way he put you into his kingdom, he had that plan from all eternity. And Paul says in Romans, how much more would him who did not spare his only son freely give us all things? And if I don't get through any of the definitions of these words, if I could you understand that God wants to give you the Great Shirt Christmas, as we, I, you know, my kids use it to mock me these days. You know, that's what you do when you grow up—you mock your dad. But uh, and uh, I mean, there were we we really we all got too tired. Like, they they mutiny. They're like, we're not staying up to open the rest of these gifts. You know, it's 1.30 in the morning, and we still have like fifty or hundred gifts to go. I'm going to bed. Uh, it was nuts. It was over the top. I've been known to be a little extravagant sometimes. But that, that is God toward you. We worry about our jobs and we worry about our, well, our future spouses and we worry about whether we'll overcome this sinful habit. I don't know why it works this way, but God gives you some deliverance like quickly. But if you're crying out to God for deliverance and you're really pursuing it, it will come. You know, I had some habits in my life that were gone the first six months of, you know, like drugs and all that. And I, You know, I, the last time I smoked any drugs was in 1974. Most of you weren't even born then. Steve, you were probably born then, right? Were, were you? Yeah. yeah. Anyone else born? In, oh, of course, Catherine. <laughs> any, see, Ken, Ken raises his hand. Ken, you were, you were in the mind of God in 1974. <laughs> God knew you and his purpose. Uh, You know, and then there were other things that it was 17 and 20 years before I began to see some sanctification process. But God loves you and he's called you and he's not going to ever let you go. His love never fails. It never gives up. It it never runs out on me is what didomai means. Well, let's see if I can. Uh, I got a few more minutes. So does that, do we get that? I, I don't even know how to communicate that. to you. I'm not sure how much I, I'm beginning to understand. Of course, we always experience grace and, and God's love and we grow in that and we get certain issues healed. But I'm beginning to see like, oh my gosh, I've fallen in the trap of thinking I've come so far, which is all, one of the things that keeps us from growing further is we look back at how far he took us instead of how much he wants to give us yet. But you know what? God is the lover of your soul. He's the great shepherd of the sheep. You didn't do anything to, to find him in the first place, and you won't do anything to hold on to him. You know those songs where I'll never let you go? I hope to God we change those. I never even sing those that line. To, he will never let us go. If it were up to me, you know, Lord, I'll never deny you out. I'll, I'll I'll be with you to death and I'm never I've decided to follow Jesus. Forget it. He's decided you're following Jesus. <laughs> no turning back. <laughs> I want to turn back. Sorry, I love you too much. He who turns back will eat his fill of his own waste. I mean, as we go through stuff like we get off the pass, we grow colder in our heart, or we're not as zealous as we need to be, or whatever, and he uses it because he loves us to chastise us at times. Sometimes there's bad fruit to eat, but there's never a loss of his fatherhood or his ultimate purpose for your life which is to do you good, Jeremiah 29. I know my purpose for you, verse 12, to give you a hope and a ladder in. Man, if I could just give get us, I, you know, I don't even understand it enough to tell you about it. <laughs> you know, really. His grace is unfathomable. Let's look at some of these words in the remaining uh, few minutes. Dorian uh, translates usually as gift, uh here's some verse it verses where Jesus says heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely is actually Dorian. And then uh freely you receive, freely give is mine Uh Jesus said, if you knew the gift that the freedom of God, the the wonderful it's 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 kind of a this word is actually probably more the great shirt Christmas. It's like uh it's totally unmerited. It's undeserved, and it's totally over the top. It's like, you know, when the uh, guy is bumming money on the street. I've seen this in movies once in a while, or something like a guy's trying to get a, a couple bucks to get his next beer bottle or whatever, and and the guy just like gives him like hundred thousand or something. I, there's a couple movies like that where you know the guy's like just happens to be he's tired of all this money or whatever, and it, that it's kind of like that. It's like we think we need. Uh, five dollars to hold us over and he just go ahead and gives us like millions it's it's that kind of word um now by the way uh there's a c- couple places where it's not translated gift i put john 15 as an example of that and galatians 2 is also a good example of that uh what, what it means for, because it means for no cause. See, it's unmerited. So it can kind of, kind of be translated for no reason at all. So put it put it in context. But this happened in order to fulfill the words in their Torah, uh, John 15 is quoted, that they hated me for no reason at all. That, that's what's so amazing about the whole grace thing, is that we really did hate God. We're the ones that nailed him to the cross. We're the ones that cried out, crucify him, crucify him. We were in Adam and Eve when they sinned. We were in their loins spiritually. We made, this is impossible to understand, but one of the mysteries of the faith is you made that decision to say, indeed hath God said, and to eat uh, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You made that decision in Adam and Eve. And... He still loves us. Galatians 2:21 is saying if I nullify if if I am seeking to be saved by the law and I null, nullify the grace of God I make it for I, I totally obliterate the whole thing I make it for no reason. Chiris, we're going to look at several words later that that come out of Chiris. Next week we'll look at charisma, which is point E there. I won't get to that part today, but Chiris um, is translated in the King James as grace, 130 times favor, six times thanks, seven times pleasure, two times in seven different miscellaneous words definition grace that which that which affords joy pleasure delight goodwill loving kindness favor use several ways including of the merciful kindness of god by which god exerting his holy influence upon us turns us to christ keeps us strengthens us and increases us in the christian faith knowledge affection and kindles them to be to exercise of the christian virtues your love for god We love because he first loved us. Do you want to, it's really great to say, Lord, I want to love you more. That's a prayer I pray all the time, every day. Lord, help me love you more purely. Help me love what you love. Help me hate what you hate. Cause my affections to be centered in you. Cause me not to be so excited about La Rosa's pizza or Chipotle and more excited about you. And uh, I pray that all, you know, kind of thing. But you know what? not understanding sometimes that he loves, we love because he first loved us. He's going to shower you with grace and love to cause your affections to be more his. Ditto my, uh, occurs 414 times, pretty big word to give of one's own accord, to give of one's to one's own advantage, to bestow, uh, grant, supply, furnish, deliver, to, to give what is due, such as wages, reward, or position, to appoint to an office, to cause to come forth. As in, the, uh, in Revelation, it says, the sea, death, and hell will give up their dead. To grant or permit, to ordain, or commission. It includes the, the idea of anointing and equipping to do the, the task that he's called you to do. The verses that have a lot of that kind of idea have didymei in them. It's easy for me to say, in Ephesians 6, it uh, tells masters to give up, threatening, that is to, to cease, to stop. Um, it's, it's the word that God uses when he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. By the way, back on Caris, I just put one verse because there's so many, but this is one of my favorites, Uh, so jump back up to B and I'll end there. To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Three really important verses or words from the Greek in that were Caris, which is the word for grace. Freely is a derivative of grace, uh, karitoo, it's um, a verb form. And beloved is agapeo, but it's the exact word and the exact way that the angel says to Mary when he says, hail much favored of the Lord. He says, hail agapeo, the object of God's love. Freely bestowed, chosen, very intimate, very special. And that's the gospel in one verse in Ephesians 1.6. He, when he called you into Christ, he freely bestowed his grace and accepted you in his beloved family. You are a son, a daughter. You are, you are uh, going to be the recipient of the eternal great shirt Christmas. Amen.